Hello, I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and welcome to episode 19 of my Train Your Mind for Athletic Success podcast. This is the last of six episodes in which I share with you ways in which you can maximize your training efforts and the benefits that you gain from those efforts. The topic for today's episode is five keys to quality training. Despite what many athletes and coaches believe, competitions aren't won on the day of the competition, just before the competition, or even during the competition. Rather, they're won in training in the weeks and months leading up to the competition. What you do in training will determine how you perform and the ultimate outcome of the competition. Training is the place where all of the physical, technical, tactical, and mental requirements of sport are established. Too often, I see athletes begin training without any clear idea of what they're doing there. They have nothing in particular they're working on to improve. When this happens, athletes are not only not improving, they're also making it more difficult to improve because they're further ingraining old and ineffective skills, which makes it harder to learn new skills. Despite this importance, I'm constantly amazed by the poor quality of training that I see athletes engage in, even at the world-class and professional levels. I see unclear intention, limited effort, ineffective focus, and little intensity. Yet, these athletes expect to perform their best in competition. That's unlikely to happen because they're not engaging in quality training, which involves maintaining the highest level of intention, effort, focus, and intensity consistently throughout a training session. There are a number of strategies you can use to help you engage in quality training. From the late Kobe Bryant, the five-time NBA champion, take every practice, every game, like it's your last. The number one key to quality training, have a goal and purpose. You must first always train with a goal and a purpose. A goal is some aspect of your sport that you want to improve. It might be physical, technical, tactical, mental, or related to overall performance. For example, a figure skater's goal might be to improve the elevation of her jumps. A purpose is something specific you work on in your training that will enable you to achieve your goal. Using the figure skating example, her purpose might be to do six sets of plyometrics every other day to increase her power, and in her on-ice training, emphasize explosiveness on her takeoffs. Or if a tennis player's goal is to improve his confidence, his purpose might be to use more positive body language between points. Number two key for quality training, train for adversity. An essential skill that you need to develop to perform your best in competition is the ability to respond positively to adversity. Athletes love to train in ideal conditions, but conditions are rarely perfect in competition. Too often in practice, I see athletes develop a negative attitude, put forth less effort, or stop completely when the conditions get too difficult. For example, rain, cold, poor training conditions, or a difficult drill. I've heard athletes say it doesn't matter since it's just training but they don't realize two things. First, as I noted in my episode on Train Like You Compete, whatever you do in training is what you will do in a competition. If you respond poorly to adversity in training, then that is the habit you ingrain and that is what is likely will come out when you're confronted with adversity in competition. It's often how athletes respond to adversity, not the actual adversity itself that determines who is successful in a competition. The reality is that different conditions occur for all competitors, so your opponents also have to deal with them. What makes the difference in a competition is who responds to the adversity best. The only way to compete successfully in adverse conditions is to train in them and learn how to react positively to that adversity. This ability comes from understanding that the conditions will prevent you from performing as well as you would like, 
but also recognizing that your opponents will face the same challenges. The goal when faced with adversity is to minimize the deterioration in your performances. Often, among those with similar ability, it is the one who is able to reduce the impact of the adversity on their performances that will be the one who is the most successful. Two important benefits occur when you expose yourself to adversity in training. First, experiencing adversity in training gives you the opportunity to learn how to respond positively to it. This positive attitude toward adversity starts with being determined to not let the adversity beat you. It also involves accepting that you will make more mistakes and your performances will inevitably decline somewhat. This perspective helps you overcome the frustration that often arises when confronted with adversity. As you expose yourself to adversity more and more, you gain confidence and comfort with it and are able to stay positive and motivated even when things get tough. Second, by training in adversity, you come to understand the adverse conditions better and in doing so, you learn how to adapt yourself to them. You learn how to maintain your performances as best you can given those adverse conditions. This might, for example, mean knowing how to adjust your technique, tactics, body position, or pace to perform well in rain, heat, or a muddy field. When you're faced with the same adversity in a competition, instead of freaking out, you have tools you can use to perform your best under those adverse conditions. When I'm with athletes when they're training in tough conditions, one of my biggest pet peeves is hearing them say to their coach, hey coach, things are getting too hard here. Can you make it easier? That is an attitude that pretty much guarantees failure in a competition. In fact, if you're competing in situations where the conditions are bad, you shouldn't even begin to train until the conditions are as rough as the expected competitive conditions. Rather than looking for those ideal training conditions, seek out the worst possible conditions. When the conditions are really bad, say bring it on, go for it and perform your best you can under those difficult conditions, while realizing that it isn't going to be pretty or perfect. The end result is that having trained for adversity, when you compete in adverse conditions, you can say, I've been in these conditions before, I know what to do to perform well, this is no big deal. From a Nike ad, the road to athletic greatness is not marked by perfection, but the ability to constantly overcome failure and adversity. Number three key for quality training, recover from your mistakes quickly. As I discussed in the previous episode on experimentation, the more you push yourself out of your comfort zone, the more mistakes you're going to make. And those mistakes certainly don't feel good or inspire confidence in yourself. Yet, it's absolutely essential to realize that the best athletes in the world make mistakes all the time. Whether it's Hope Solo allowing a goal, Roger Federer double faulting, Steph Curry missing a three-point shot, or Simone Biles falling off the balance beam. One thing that makes these great athletes so great is not that they don't make mistakes, but rather how quickly they recover from them. Younger or less skilled athletes certainly make plenty of mistakes, but unlike the exceptional athletes I just mentioned, it usually takes them longer to recover. For example, a young golfer double bogeys a hole and it continues to haunt her for the next two holes, causing one bad hole to grow into three bad holes. This effect of one mistake turning into a series of mistakes or the descent into an ongoing poor performance occurs for several reasons. First, the mistake hurts your confidence, which means you're less likely to commit fully to your subsequent performances. If you take a mistake as an indication of how you're performing, you will lose faith that you can perform well after the mistake. Second, a mistake can produce a range of negative emotions, including disappointment, 
anxiety, frustration, anger, sadness, and possibly even despair. These emotions are discouraging and demotivating. Third, mistakes can also produce a physiology that almost guarantees more mistakes and poor performances. In the case of anxiety, frustration, and anger, you experience muscle tension, restricted breathing, and a loss of coordination, all of which will impair future performances. In the case of disappointment, sadness, and despair, you'll experience a letdown physiology, including low heart rate, reduced blood flow, and shallow breathing, producing a lack of the physical requirements to perform well. Fourth, a mistake can interfere with your ability to focus effectively. If you're dwelling on your past mistake, you're not focused on what you need to do well in the present in your upcoming performance. The result is more mistakes and the beginning of a vicious cycle of mistakes and physical, mental, and emotional deterioration that will be very hard to escape. You have several goals after you make a mistake. First, stay positive and motivated, which alone will help you let go of the mistake and get back on track. Two, accept and let go of the mistake emotionally. Three, maintain your ideal intensity, allowing your body to be capable of returning to good performance. Four, learn from the mistake, so you're less likely to do it again. Finally, refocus from the past mistake to the present and what you need to do to return to performing well. From Dean Smith, the college basketball legendary coach. What to do with a mistake? One, recognize it. Two, admit it. Three, learn from it. And four, forget it. Number four key for quality training. Never give up. A common reaction of athletes to mistakes or poor performances in training is to give up. You might shorten your workouts because you just can't get the new technique, or you stop trying because what you're working on is just too difficult. Athletes rationalize giving up by saying that training doesn't really matter. I would argue otherwise. Training counts because everything you practice either contributes to or interferes with developing effective skills and habits. Giving up is typically caused by the perception that you've lost control of your training and there's nothing you can do to get it back on track. With this perception, you lose all the psychological forces that would continue to propel you forward after you begin to struggle, including confidence, motivation, intensity, and focus. The skill of never giving up is so central to your athletic success because something rather important happens every time you give up. You automatically lose. You may think that there are no real consequences to losing in training, but as I just mentioned, they are more significant than they appear to be. The problem is that as I described in my Train Like You Compete episode, whatever you do in training is what you will do in competition. So if you give up often in training, you develop the habit of giving up, and that may very well come out in a competition. You must make a commitment to keep fighting and never give up, no matter how badly things are going in your training. If you give up, you are sacrificing any chance you have of turning things around. Also, you're not just giving up on your performance. More painfully, you're giving up on yourself. And there is nothing worse than that. I can assure you that when you give up, you absolutely feel awful and regret having done so. But if you keep fighting, you may not win. But at least you give yourself a chance because anything can happen in sports. And even if things don't work out the way you want, you will still feel pride knowing that you went down fighting. As the saying goes, it's better to go out with a bang than a whimper. 
You want to ingrain the habit of giving your best effort and never giving up no matter what happens in training or competition. From Rocky Balboa, the movie boxing champion, every champion was once a contender that refused to give up. Number five key to quality training, reach for the high hanging fruit. If your athletic goals are at all high, and if you're competing against other individuals or teams with similar goals, you can assume that your competitors are doing all the basic things everyone must do in their training to be competitive. These basics include intensive physical conditioning, improving technique and tactics, equipment preparation, and healthy eating. You can think of these ABCs as the low-hanging fruit that you pick first as you progress because they're easy to find, easy to reach, and because they're sufficient for you to improve steadily early in your athletic development. Certainly, these fundamentals are necessary to be successful because they act as the foundation for later, higher level development. But they're probably not enough to get you where you want to go because everyone is doing them, so they aren't what separate the great from the good. For you to gain an advantage over your competitors, you need to go beyond the basics and do what they are not doing. The higher you climb the athletic ladder, the more important it is for you to do more and do different than your competitors. You need to somehow get to the high-hanging fruit that is harder to reach and as a result, not often picked. These high-hanging fruit are the small things that have a subtle yet powerful impact on your development and your performances. And they're what often makes the difference between the winners and the also-rans. These hard-to-reach fruits include making your sport your absolute priority and being sure that you make choices that support your efforts and your goals. Seeking out innovative training approaches and strategies that would give you a competitive advantage over your competitors. Ensuring that you get enough sleep that will enable your body to recuperate from the stresses of training and competition. Warm up before training and competition that optimally prepares you to maximize your efforts. And then cool down after training and competitions to ensure complete recovery from the physical demands of your sport. The use of training and competitive routines that guarantee maximum readiness in training and competition. Committing to a comprehensive, structured, and consistent mental training program. And lastly, experimenting with equipment that will enable you to perform even better. This high-hanging fruit won't make a huge difference in how you perform, but you shouldn't expect big improvements as you climb higher up the competitive ladder. These minutiae may only mean improvements of a few inches, a few tenths of a second, a bit farther, a jot faster. But the closer you get to the top, it is these small details and minute improvements that can mean the difference between great success and dashed dreams. An unknown quote, don't stop when you're tired, stop when you're done. I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and thanks for listening to episode 19 of Train Your Mind for Athletic Success. And be on the lookout for episode 20 in the near future.